So, how was your evening? Mm, it was good. Yeah? yeah? It was good. Yeah, saw, saw a movie. Pretty good. Have a good time. I'll tell you, when you sent me that text, I was like, man, he might be the smart one. And then about 25 to 40 minutes later, I was like, oh, man, Tyler fucked up and missed something. Yeah. Like, I saw all of the angles. Oh, like the yeah. The JFK assassination oh, yeah. when I got back home. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I think angle is the perfect word for what you're for what you're saying here, because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't fucking buy it. I don't, <sighs> Let's I don't not buy do it. this. I think it's a work. I think the whole thing is a fucking work to boost television ratings because they are scared. I don't. I don't think it's a work. You look at every Oscar win last night. They're all fucking parts of the work. And we'll go into the music from there. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I don't even let you have a thought on it. What, what did you think about the the slap? Well, let's start with the slap, and then we'll go into the awards. I genuinely don't know who won anything. All I know is that Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock, and then he won. That, that's all I know. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say this first. I'm like 80% joking that it's a work. I don't think it is. But here's what I'm going to say. I think what happened is a fucking travesty. There's one victim in all of this, and his name is Chris Rock. I will fully admit that Jada Pinkett Smith has alopecia and that the comment that Chris Rock made, who is a comedian, I would like to point out, was maybe a little poor in poor taste. That does not give Will Smith the right to walk on stage and fucking physically attack somebody. Does not give him the right. I'm sorry. I don't care. If he said, hey, I would love to dip my balls in oil and rub them all over her bald head, he still does not have the right to put his hands on somebody. I would have thrown his ass out of the Oscars. Like, I'm sorry. Be like, your, Osc- that your Oscars in the mail, motherfucker. Oh, who fucking cares? It's a it's a show. Chris Rock said something oh, I dumb. Agree. Let's smack them. It's Who cares? It's not, it's but not he that big of a deal. shouldn't put his hands on him. If we're talking eh. about right and wrong here. Eh. You know, I thought you were going to be a lot more fired up about this. No, I mean, as someone who was on, who's been on stage and told jokes at people. No, I think, I think people should be scared to get hit. <laughs> I think, yeah. Fuck, He's fuck a comedian. That's what he does. Fucking learn some fucking jujitsu. P.S. by the way, too. Oh, no, I think he handled it. The classes. He did nothing. He literally, if you listen to the uncensored set, I made a G.I. Jane joke, dude. Like, wow, dude. I don't, I don't think he really overstepped the line here. And to be honest, too, her dress looked like she was in the fucking military. I really think you could pull from that as well. I don't think he really did all that much. I mean, mm. understanding she has alopecia, it's a little insensitive, but like, it's motherfuckers a are comedians. That's what they do. No, it's it's a little insensitive. It is. I'm oh, not disagreeing with you that it's not insensitive. Okay, fine. It's insensitive, but the motherfucker's a comedian. That's what he does. And also, dude, you I, can't physically... Like, like, seriously? Imagine if anyone else did that. I think it's one of those things where it's like, I think what he did is dumb. Would I have done it? No. 
I would have talked to Chris no. Rock after the show. I would have been very mad about it, but I would have done it like afterwards where no one can see me do it. All right. Yeah. Personally, do I care? No, because it's a rich no, person hitting another rich person. It really should be how they decide the winners, right? Fuck yeah, dude. Battle Royale. I do kind of like that idea, actually. Well, okay, we've moved on. That was the other thing, too. You know, actually, I'm a little more mad at Will Smith for something else. You know how, like, when you'll be watching a pay-per-view and they'll put on, like, one of the best matches, like, somewhere in the middle of the card, and it just kind of gasses you for the rest of it? Well, none, uh-huh. of, none of us could recover after that. We didn't really care. It's one of those things where, like, that, where, like that's all I'm thinking about the rest of the night. <laughs> We were sitting there and I was like, I'm like, was this part, was this like, cause, cause at first it was like, we were sitting there and I was like, I'm not sure if this is real. And then like the more it continued on, I'm like, I'm like, no, they think it might be real. Like it was very strange. I mean, he hit the shit out of him. I mean, he caught him. Like I'll give Chris Rock credit. I don't know if I would have handled it well. I might've fucking, when he turned around to walk away, I might've tackled his ass on stage and started throwing the toaster fists at his head. Like, I might have started to try to put the Fresh Prince to sleep. Like, being like, who the fuck do you think you are, dude? Honestly, that would have been funnier. Is like, two rich dudes fighting on stage. That would have been fucking great. Like, dude, I'm going to say right now, I don't think it's right. Like, and I'll say it last night. He should have apologized for striking Chris Rock during his speech. He should have done it. That's the biggest fuck up, in my opinion. Sure. (laughs) I still think... My my big takeaway at the end of the day is I don't care. I think it's funny. Uh, and if you don't think it's funny, then I don't know. You're somewhere oh, wrong I th- with you. I think I think it's insane that it happened. And I'm not saying it's not funny that like this has happened and like all of a sudden somewhere like the people from like La La Land are like fucking sweet. We are no longer the weirdest controversy to happen at the Oscars. Well, they gave your girl from West Side Story an Oscar. That's pretty fun. Hell yeah, good for her. Yeah. Jessica Chastain can fuck off now because she has an Oscar, so that's cool. Like uh, they did Licorice Pizza Dirty. They were always going to do Licorice Pizza Dirty. I know, I know. But your guy uh, won international feature, so you know, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And a movie I saw on Friday, which I will tell you right now, this is a year where in six months people will go and be like, what well, one Best Picture? <laughs> because that's how average of a movie Coda is. I'm going to say it right now. You want a hot take uh, involved outside of the Will Smith stuff? Coda is F-I-N-E fine. It's not great. It's fine. I don't know. I look at Coda and I was like, if you wanted to do this, just you could have just given could have just given the Sound of Metal an Oscar last year. Fucking thank Dusted. you, right? Oh, fucking. I'm so glad you said that. Because it's 100% true. They could have easily just given. By the way, too, I honestly thought we were on a we were on a track to have Dune win the whole damn thing. It kept winning awards. Yeah, but it's it. I mean, it was always going to win like the technical awards and it was always going to win like sound and stuff like that. I'll say this, too. And like this is like. This is no shade against Troy Kotzer, who I think did a really, really good job in Coda. He's actually one of the few parts of that movie 
I'm not just absolutely like just been like meh to he's actually really good. Paul Racy had to die so to- Troy Coatser could win the next year. All I'm going to say. That would make a sense. I don't know why I'm using that voice. I, I, I genuinely I, I'm like at the point with the Oscars where I'm like if something I really like gets nominated I'm like yeah neat. But like I genuinely don't care. <laughs> like if something like like if a green book won now, I'd just be like, yeah, it makes sense. It's fucking the Oscars. They suck. They do that. Every 10 years or so, they make just the worst possible choice imaginable. And for the most part, they either pick pretty good movies to good movies to like, eh. There was a lot of nests last night. But we got to eat some really good food and we watched it. I got to hang out with my sister and my father and my girl. So, you know, it wasn't bad all around. Yeah, that's that's the that's the plus side of the Oscars. It is true. You get to hang out with friends, enjoy the uh, the awards. Or if you're like me, you get to go to a mostly empty theater and watch X. Yeah, you yeah. might have planned that right. Did you stay past the credits? I did. I didn't see that. How's that look? It looks better than the, the better than the movie we watched. End of your Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the hellish streets of New York to the hellish streets of Hollywood, this is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. How are you, my friend? I'm I'm good. I'm good. That's good. That's good. Good week and all that. It actually hasn't been that long since we've spoken, I just realized. I guess we shouldn't really waste any time. What was the most captivating thing you saw this week? I watched a little movie called The Baby. The Baby. It's from 1973 and is directed by Ted Post, who's probably best known for doing Hang Him High and Magnum Force. Oh, okay. Clint Eastwood Um, movies. Clint Eastwood movies. It's hard to describe. It's a movie about a social worker who finds a family of women, the matriarch, and then, like, a couple sisters. And at the center of this is this young man who is 21 who, for all intents and purposes, dresses and acts like a baby. He is the titular baby of the movie. And I... I, It is... it's it kind of falls under like the hag exploitation genre of like an old biddy being like doing a lot of crazy acting. However, I will say the movie is, in my opinion, great. Interesting. That's that's it. Is Clint Eastwood I, the I baby? I thought it was really fun. Um, I I thought it was a a really good movie. I also thought it was really fucking weird. So. <laughs> I mean, your premise is very, your premise is already showing that. It's an exploitation movie that kind of, that it feels very not exploitation-y because it is like PG. 
so there's not a whole lot of violence but like it does sort of scratch that very similar itch of super weird and dark exploitation movie yeah interesting and Clint Eastwood does not play the baby Clint Eastwood does not play the baby that's a shame that could have been a real move right there um, then again, I feel like if there was a Clint Eastwood movie where he played a full-grown man who was a baby, I feel like I'd know about that movie. I feel like you would know about that movie. The only person in the cast that I really know anything about was Ruth Roman, and that's because she was on she was in Strangers on a Train. Okay. She Interesting. Was, she's old-school noir actress who in the 70s turned to doing horror movies. So she was in The Baby, Day of the Animals, a really bleak, nasty little movie called Killing Kind by Curtis Harrington. Okay. From the same year, actually. It's pretty interesting. That's two recommendations. Well, there you go. Uh, fuck, I didn't really. I mean, I'm not going to talk about Coda. It's It's really not the... Oh, you know what? No, here you go. Me, the little sister, her boyfriend, my girl's friend Lucas, and us went and saw The Lost City on Saturday. Yeah, how was that? It's charming. It's it's very cute. Like, I'm not going to say this is like a mind-blowing movie or anything, but it's it's like really cute. It's once again, it's another example of it's good to see Channing Tatum back. I just want to see him in front of a camera, you know? It's nice. I'll say I this. Get on the typewriter, whoever's in Hollywood, and write a buddy cop movie for him and Brad Pitt. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm into very into that. Oh yeah, right. Those two together. And I'll say this too. Here's here's how you know this movie actually works for me. Not a huge Sandra Bullock fan. I usually find her pretty annoying in most things. This is not one of them. Wow, not a Sandra Bullock fan, huh? Not really. Not most mm, things. Interesting. Uh, Speed, interesting. The Proposal, this, and, and, you know, I'd have to look at the rest of her filmography, but that's about Wait, it. Wait, The Proposal? I kind of enjoy that movie. It's 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 a, it's a good fish-out-of-water movie, and she kind of adapts to that well. That's actually kind of one of her best, her best moves, is like, oh, she's good in Gravity, too, actually. I always forget she's in Gravity. She she's the only one in gravity. No, there's that one guy floating around. I mean, okay. All right, I'm gonna look through. You know what? I no, she's good in Ocean's Eight. Uh, uh, I, I don't like. Oh, Miss Congeniality too. She's good in Miss Congeniality movies. I would also say While You're Sleeping is fun and better than it should be for a movie with a, its insane premise. For the fact that that premise is a movie about a woman who commits a crime, yeah. And you're forgetting the best movie she's ever been in, a Demolition Man. Fuck yes, she is really good in Demolition Man. Okay, so there's like five. I'm not saying she's bad in everything. It's just for the most part, I find her kind of annoying. We need to do like a 90s action movie thing. Just You know what? I got a theme. I got a new theme. You still have one slot left for next for next go around. I've already come up with what I want. I've, the next next time, we should do uh, Raised on TNT, and it's just movies that played on TNT in the 90s. 
if that you want that to be one of yours, dude, it can totally be one of yours. Okay, I am down for man it. Lethal Weapon Four. <laughs> well, we're gonna start off nice and end with a really average movie. Cool. That's that's great. That's fucking great. Great. I'm not saying that's uh, what I would pick. I'm just saying that the first two that came. No, to my I know. Head. Just that that you would start me off so hyped. That would that would literally be like last night's Oscars where like demolition man is the slap and then like <laughs> oh lethal weapon four is Osh- or is coda winning best picture and i'm like all right everyone get the fuck out of my house i don't care well there you go yeah that was a i'll say this though best joke of the night was they didn't have amy schumer on stage for a while and she came back and she goes sorry guys i had to change out of that spider-man costume anything happened while i was gone and there's just kind of <laughs> an audible gasp and she goes seems different out here energy's a little different I guess that should move us on, and we can talk about these two movies that were almost on Mount Rushmore's, which, I don't know how you feel, but I feel one of these should have made it. I definitely think one of them should have made it. I wonder if we're thinking of the same one. I don't think we are, Ben. Interesting. Well, the first movie is a 1976 movie from the one, the only, the man himself, Mr. Martin Scorsese. And some would argue it's Martin Scorsese's most misanthropic film and focuses on Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle, a transformative role that is both twisted, sympathetic, and detestable all in the same moments. Truly one of the most mind-blowing films of its time and delivers shock and awe when it debuted in 76 and still delivers some of that shock and awe today. It is the movie that stars the aforementioned Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, Albert Brooks, and Harvey Keitel as Sport, and also, let us not forget, Peter Boyle as The Wizard. This is 1976, Martin Scorsese's, written by Paul Schrader, Taxi Driver. You got a 44 Magnum? It's an expensive weapon. That's all right, I got money. It's a real monster. Stop at a car at 100 yards, put a round right through the engine block. Resale weapon. Look at that. Look at that. That's a beauty. I could sell this gun to some jungle bunny in Harlem for 500 bucks, but I just deal high quality goods to the right people. How about that? This might be a little too big for practical purposes. In which case, for you, I'd recommend 38 snub nose. Look at this. Look at that. That's a beautiful little touch. It's nickel plated, snub nose. Otherwise, the same as a service revolver. That'll stop anything that moves. A magnum, I use that in Africa for killing elephants. That 38, that's a fine gun. Some of these guns are like toys. That 38, you go out and have my nails with it all day, come back and it'll cut dead center on target every time. It's got a really nice action to it, and a heck of a wallop. You interested in an automatic? It's a Colt 25 automatic. 
It's a nice little gun. It's a beautiful little gun. Holds six shots in the clip, one shot in the chamber. It's if you're dumb enough to put a round in the chamber. Here, look at this. 380 Warfer. Holds eight shots in the clip. That's a nice gun. Yeah, that's a beautiful little gun. Look at that. During World War II, they used this gun to replace the P-38. Just given out to officers. And then a little honey. How much for everything? Uh, all together. Well, only a jackass would carry that cannon in the streets like that. Here. Here's a beautiful handmade holster I had made in Mexico. Forty dollars. Three fifty for the Magnum. Two fifty for the thirty-eight. One and a quarter for the twenty-five. One fifty for the three-eight. You take this and wait here. I'll walk down with you. How about dope? Grass, ash, coke, mescaline, downers, nebutol, tonal, chloral hydrates. How about uh, uppers, amphetamines? No, I'm not interested in that stuff. Crystal meth. I can get you crystal meth. Nitrous oxide. How about that? How about a Cadillac? I get you a brand new Cadillac with the pink slip for two grand. I couldn't say misanthropic to save my life. You still can. I just said it. Sure. You know what? You know what? I'm flying up there to slap you. That's that's what's gonna do it. Fucker. <laughs> I think I'll I'll tell you this is if they really wanted to work me. Have next year Chris Rock host the Oscars and have it open up with just four large black bodyguards coming out with him to the stage. <laughs> now that's comedy. You know what I will say is that this movie would have made it on the Mount Rushmore had John Hinckley Jr. been able to assassinate Ronald Reagan. <laughs> it would have easily been on on. on you would have you would have tried for one. You would have tried yeah. for one. Oh yeah, no, it would have been the lead spot. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This is not the one I think that should have made it. Oh. Interesting. So we do have the same one. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well. Seeing as, as the other one was my pick. <laughs> oh, I agree. I just, there was, I mean, Weird. upon watching, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that one. We'll, we'll get, get to that it. one. We'll get, get yeah. Get so. Uh, you know what? They did it twice. We blew ourselves out talking about the slap. Now I'm exhausted. It's uh, I also didn't sleep <laughs> very well last little... night. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's talk about this. Who doesn't fucking love Taxi Driver? It. You know me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think it's fine. See, I I really appreciate the performance he gives here. I think De Niro's on fire in this movie. Oh, I think De Niro is great, and I think so is Foster, and and I think like everybody in this movie is great. I also think the structure is really interesting because I really think it's a movie of like two acts, where like the first hour is like this escalation of a, to a breaking point essentially, and the second hour is like him going through with it. Well, and it's funny you say that because both of our movies tonight have that same thing where I actually paused our second movie literally at an hour and I didn't realize it. And it's right before everything goes the same direction as this movie. And I think this has about the same thing where it's like about an hour in that's where the change and the flip happens. And you're like, Oh, I'm in a whole different movie now, aren't I? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flip where it just be, it starts to become like really dark and brooding from. Well, I mean, it was it's like dark and brooding the entire time, but like it it does flip, and you're like, oh, he's gonna do something horrible. <laughs> And you get this, like, foreboding sense of, like, something really bad's about to happen. Well, let, let's go through it. Let's talk about the plot. So Travis Bickle is a guy who has gotten back from the war in Vietnam, from what I can gather, and wants to work a job as a taxi driver because he can't sleep at nights. And thanks to good old Joe Spinell, he gives him that job. I don't think he did serve in Vietnam. You don't think so, huh? No, because I think he's too young. Oh, so you don't think he's trustworthy as a narrator? Everybody says that he's like a Vietnam veteran, but I like don't think he served personally. Like I just I think he wanted to serve. I think there's something that you could argue where like Bickle owns the jacket, but like never really actually fought in Vietnam. He says to Spinell at the beginning, though, honorable discharge. I mean, yeah, he says that. He also yeah, we never know, see paperwork though. You're right. He's a, not a trustworthy narrator. Yeah. There's plenty to where you go like, I don't know about this guy. Like, I think he's lying from the beginning. Yeah, that's possible. That's very, very possible. I also don't think he got honor. If he did serve, I don't think he got honorably discharged. <laughs> what do you think he got discharged for? Just being being loopy? I think he might have either been too crazy or too young to serve. Interesting. Okay. Well, he starts driving the hack regardless, and, you know, it seems like this movie, I mean, if you want to talk about, like, there's one end of the scale of God's Lonely Man to, like, the ultimate end of the scale, this is the ultimate end of the scale. Yeah, This, this is Trader's ultimate is, lonely man. This is God's Lonely Man uh, turned up to, like, 11. It's very, very true. It's very, very true. I mean, he's good at it. Like, De Niro, De Niro crushes every moment of this movie. There's not a bad moment in this movie. Well, the movie always stays with De Niro, and De Niro's performance is good enough to keep it moving. I really only think there's like a couple of times where we break from him, and it's when we see Sybil Shepard and Albert Brooks. There's one other time, too, and that is between uh, Sport and Iris. Oh, yeah, okay. but Which also watching... makes you feel... No, we're not. We're not. That's right. There's like a spot where they're on the they're on the steps, right? No, they're in his. They're in the. They're in the place where she goes to. Um, as she likes to call it, make it. Right. I think that's an interesting choice because the movie stays with Bickle the entire time, and it feels like it should never leave Bickle. Yeah, because I mean, even in those scenes where. You could argue even in those scenes where Albert Brooks and her are talking, you could almost argue that that's the perception of what he thinks they're saying. Because mm-hmm. the only time you know you're on steady ground is when you're with him, because you know that he's there, because he's it's all from his perspective. So, yeah, you're not 100% sure if, like, the Albert Brooks stuff is real, which, by the way, Albert Brooks is so funny for, like, four minutes in the movie Albert Brooks is great in this yeah and Albert should act more just be around more he's one of the best parts of drive like as like as a performer 
I would argue that Albert Brooks is like the best part of like every movie he's in. I'm trying to think of a bad Albert Brooks movie. I mean, okay, I'm... there's only one. There's yeah. one bad Albert Brooks movie. Yeah, what is that? Looking for comedy in the Muslim world. God, that movie was in my it was in the theaters when I was working there. I don't think I ever and saw it. Is it is it as bad as it, as people make it out to be? It's just misguided. He directed it, right? He wrote and directed. It's the last movie he wrote and directed. Well, there's a reason for it. Albert Brooks' movies are really great. I don't know if you've ever seen Lost in America or Modern Romance. Oh, oh yeah. Lost in America is one of my dad and I's favorite go-to quotes. 22. 22. You ever seen Real Life? I've seen Defending Your Life. Okay, we should do a life, a double feature, defending your life, real life. Yeah, about being sure. sorted. Print, print, print the money. He's so pleased with himself. Yeah, like we said, he's he's really strong in this, and so is Albert Brooks. So he's kind of driving around, and the movie's kind of about just him interacting with the people of New York while he drives this taxi, and just the and the people he connects with throughout it, and. What do you call it? Like the first person he kind of uh, there's I, like you said, I think you said this is a movie about two parts. This is a movie about Betsy and Iris. I think those are the mm-hmm. two halves of this movie. Yeah, I think it's very clearly like he is is envisioning like projecting all of these things onto her and Iris. It becomes like kind of the clear like I need to save this person. I think I once heard someone describe it. Actually, I think I, saw, I heard the person who described it was Martin Scorsese on that awesome commentary that you told me to listen to. It's the Madonna and the horror complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it goes from protecting to saving, and I don't think he really realizes that one is not the same as the other. I think he only sees it one way, and I think the tragedy of the story is that he's rewarded for his violence. Because the two times he has them, the first time he stops a robbery, and it's it's very clearly he just sees a black guy and assumes that he's going to do something, and he's is right. And then the second time, it's well, it, it's you know, well, hold on a second. How how does he assume when he's going back there to grab something? The black guy already has a gun pointed at the store owner. That's true. I just. I won't deny you that he is rewarded for doing violence. Like, the way that they whitewash that whole ending incident and make him out to be a hero. Every time I watch this movie, I get a little more out of that and go, God, this is really well done the way they handle this. Well, Bickle is racist. And so I forget how that scene exactly plays out, but I I thought this is just me misremembering, maybe. I thought he left and then kind of like circled back. No, he he goes to the back of the store. He hears the guy yelling, give me the money, give me the money. I just watched this like an hour ago, so I'm I'm pretty fresh on it. And he comes around. The guy's got the gun pulled on him. Nobody baited him into pulling that gun. And Travis says, hey, the guy turns around, he shoots him. Now, I'll tell you this. If Travis may be racist, the guy who owns that store definitely is racist. Mm-hmm. I think... The point of that scene is that Travis is rewarded for his violent impulses. Like, he's rewarded for being 
racist. He's rewarded for being violent. Agreed. Which allows him to continue to fantasize about saving Iris, which then leads to this buildup and explosion of violence in the end. Well, before before we get to Iris, we should talk about Betsy. Betsy, yeah. Played by Sybil Shepard, the thing I love about Betsy's portrayal in this movie is that the movie makes no bones about it being a dream sequence almost <laughs> like like when he first sees her it's literally like slow-mo and oh, beautiful and and i think you kind of get like the reality of her situation which is like she's working on a campaign for this guy and what's so interesting and something i did not pick up the first time is that like she's working for this presidential candidate right yes and then the movie makes no bones about like dropping her and then in the end the reason he wants to shoot the presidential candidate it's not out of any political motivation it's literally just because he was spurned (laughs) it does feel like that as well and you know how also you know it's a dream sequence the first time you see Sybil Shepard because Martin Scorsese is in the background and he's in all my Martin Scorsese well, Martin Scorsese appears twice in this movie. He does. He will get to that other one. We'll get to that one. I said he asks her out. She says yes. At first, yeah, and then he takes her to a porn theater. Which is a mistake I think That's we've all made. That's where he misstepped. That's where he made the mistake. I mean, it was never going to work regardless, but yeah, that that that's a big that's a big mistake. But that cut the date sh- shorter than it could have been. Would you ever try that move? Like what was his thought process there, do you think? I think it's like literally I like this so everybody has to like this end of thought process it's kind of how you and I are with certain movies kind of yeah. um, although not necessarily because there are definitely movies that I enjoy where I'm just like nah <laughs> uh, not everybody's gonna, be like, well, gonna... No. you're like no Ben that's not... bullshit the movies I like are good and people need to get on board <laughs> Yeah, not not everybody gonna like the ghastly ones, you know. It's true. It's true. But everybody that likes the ghastly ones, I want to be that canceled. category. What? I said you could argue the movies last week would fall under that category, except Ben liked Alien two more than he thought he was going to. She she really hates that move. Bad move. Uh, bad scene. Everyone's fault. He then takes his hollow husk of a body and begins to fill it with like empty political slogans do you think the reason he wants to shoot palatine is because he told her that she was like she was just like the rest of them so that kind of put palatine in that light too i literally think it's because he was burned and he drives doesn't he pick up palatine and someone else he at picks up Palantine at one point, and like that's before she rejects him. And he tells him, like, yeah, somebody needs to clean up this sewer and just flush it all down the fucking toilet. And Palantine is thrown off by it. Like Palantine is like, oh. But also Palantine is like, you know, at the same time, I don't disagree with him. It's weird how, like, also too, I think if you went like 10 steps deeper into this movie, I'll bet you Palantine had something to do with making it look like he was the hero. You know, maybe. Right? I could definitely see a world where Palantine's like, we need 
maybe not direct like this, but you know what he did? Good by me. I'm not saying it's correct. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But at the same time, yeah, can't argue with the results. There's what a couple of dead pimps over there. Is that? What voice is this? <laughs> <laughs> Just the old Jewish rabbi that I like to do voice. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But look at him. He gets results. No, I don't. I don't really have a Palantine impression. So that's that's the one you're getting. But yeah, he kind of like he kind of starts to spiral down into this world of like disgust and madness and. He goes and he buys a bunch of guns, which I'll say it, maybe one of the two best scenes of the movie is him buying those guns. You know that guy in that scene Marty made a little doc about? I've never seen the doc, but I'm aware of it. What what about him? It's not Italian-American. That's the one he made about his parents. I think it's called, like, American Boy? Yeah, Stephen Prince, who plays Andy the Gunman. And it just, it just like, interviews him, and it's just, like, about his life. And it's just a really, real interesting life my man has led. <laughs> American Boy, a profile of Stephen Prince. Yeah, I think it's mostly just him telling stories about how he was, like, a drug addict and a road manager for Neil Diamond and... <laughs> all sorts of interesting stuff i i would say it, it's a good it's a good movie to to watch with this just 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 so you know where marty was at the at the time of his making is it on that scorsese shorts it is yeah oh um, i own that i think I'm... that features italian american and the big shave and yeah um, i do own this nice a couple others the films on there are Italian-American, American Boy, The Big Shave, It's Not Just You, Murray, What's a Nice Girl Like You Doing in a Place Like This are the movies. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll say it, though. Right now, like, if you and I, like, if someone knocked on my door and said, hi, I'm the president of Hollywood, we'd like to give you and Tyler, like, $40 million to remake Taxi Driver. We feel you two have the vision for it. I would say I've only got one stipulation. I want Spike Jones to play the gun guy. <laughs> right, you can what a weird it, stipulation. Right? <laughs> I think he could kill it. I think he'd kill it. I think you're probably right, but I also think I spent so much of yesterday watching Spike Jones music videos that I'm just like, what's he gonna do? Dance? Is he gonna do that thing where he does that that like fucking flash mob from the movie theater? <laughs> He gets all gunned up, and yeah, it, we do we do get that scene. Paul Schrader, Paul Schrader is like the most famous line in the movie. I didn't write. He goes, "How's that for justice?" It's a good uh, one. It is. I mean, it's it's an amazing scene, and it's iconic. Bickle, at this point, is kind of moved on from Sybil Shepherd's character, and basically has kind of become obsessed with Iris, who is this. 12-year-old prostitute played by Jodie Foster. Played amazingly by Jodie Foster, actually. Let's let's not even take anything away from her. I mean, she was nominated for an Academy Award for a reason. Yeah, she's really, really good in this. And he kind of begins to not... Yeah, stalk. It is stalk, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, he gets a little obsessive, and he at one point buys some time with her, and I'll say it, man. 
it is maybe the worst character Harvey Keitel has ever played, along with the worst wig Harvey Keitel has ever worn. Yeah, given Harvey Keitel's straight hair is a choice. It's upsetting. It's really upsetting. And he wants to, like, be with her, and, like, he takes her out to breakfast, and, like, she's just, like... She's like, no, I'm like, he he treats me right. And like, he's good to me. And you're like, mm, I don't know about that. And then like the one scene where Bickle's not in the room, like you're like, it doesn't seem that bad, actually. I mean, it's fucked up. She's 12 and fucking for money. But like, are they that really terrible together? Yes. Yeah, they are. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's bad. Like, I definitely... It's one of those things where it's like... The movie is clearly making it so you're like, well, is it what Trump, what Bickle did? Is it is it wrong? Like, is it bad? And it's like, well, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, murder But, people. like, it is also bad, like, the situation that, like, Jodie Foster's character is in. But, like, we also don't know what her situation at home was. It is one of those things where they paint the parents to be good people, and you're not 100% sure. I definitely land on this movie where it's like, yeah, I, I get it. it. Everything makes sense, but just... It's, it's fine, you know? Like, yeah, I don't particularly love it. I've seen it, like, four times. And every time it, it works you a little more into... Like, just being, like, just kind of solidifying your theory of, like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I'm, like, every time I'm, like, I get it, I see the seams a little bit more. If it wasn't made by Martin Scorsese, it would probably be whoever made its best movie. But because it was made by Martin Scorsese, it, like, lands somewhere in the middle for me. I also think, like, the final explosion of violence, I think I understand what they're getting at. But I, I don't think, I think it's too much. Yeah, I can appreciate what you're saying there with that. Here's my thought on it. Like, you said if this were made by anyone else, this would be their best movie because it's Martin Scorsese. Why do you think this movie is then so popular amongst people? And why do you think it's lauded so highly amongst people? Because, I mean, like, and it is because of Scorsese, too. Why do you think people embrace this movie so much? Well, I think it's a combination of it being really well made sort of landing at like the tail end of new hollywood so this is 76 the next year scorsese would release probably his most difficult and most interesting movie which is um new york new york i mean of the time period i would say but that lands the same year that like fucking star wars does and star wars blows this type of movie out of the water for a while and you have to kind of make smaller budget, less art housey stuff. I mean, his other big film that people really love is Raging Bull. And, uh, you know, I also don't like Raging Bull. I think of the movies that examine, like, Robert De Niro as, like, a character kind of going down this, like, dark road or, like, him kind of playing like an unreliable narrator or playing this guy that's kind of mean or like off the beaten path. You know, I prefer movies like 
Mean Streets or New York, New York or the King of Comedy to Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Just because I just I don't find the moral ambiguity interesting. I, I understand what you mean. You need to you need to almost be able to root for Robert De Niro slightly more than you can in this and Raging Bull. Well, no, I I think they're I think like Mean Streets is more complex because De Niro's character you want him to go straight, but you know that he's not. And okay. New York, New York, it's like a tragedy because you because it's just these two people that love each other and one just can't stop fucking up. Yeah, that is a real bummer moment, isn't it? The King of Comedy is the guy who is is the most unlikable, I think, and I think is the most interesting and the the funnest to watch. Very true. I mean, I will say it. Uh, the more I've and I've seen it probably twice now since we've done Scorsese Mount Rushmore. New York, New York is a deeply underrated movie by Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, it works. It's a good cool, cool movie. The best Liza Minnelli performance. Uh, Cabaret is pretty good. I, I like it better than Cabaret, honestly. Liza Minnelli is good, though. Oh, no, no shade. I think it was weird that they trotted her out last night. She seemed like she was completely lost as to where she was. I mean, she is the daughter of Judy Garland and Vincent Minnelli. So, you know, she is she is Hollywood royalty. Not disagreeing with Hollywood royalty. I'm not saying that at all. I think it's a little weird that. I don't know. It, it just it, you know what? It, it, like it felt. Like, I understand they were doing a bunch of, like, hey, this, like, The Godfather turns 60 this year. Hey, this turns this this year. And, yes, Cabaret also turns 60 this year. But it's just, like, she looked so, I don't know. It, I just, I was like, I was like, ah, this feels a little, like, I guess it feels exploitive is what it felt like to me. Cabaret turns 50. She was not 50. 16 when she made Cabaret. 50 sorry <laughs> sorry the godfather then turns 52 bond turns 60 is what it is that's what it bond was. turns 60 yeah yeah which all also guys save it for 10 years from now then bond turns 70 you have the number god people just don't listen <sighs> what's well, your you know, favorite scene in the- yeah in in nine years bond will turn 69 so you know that's what you're looking for that's all i care about I'll say this. They named every Bond last night except for George Lazenby, and I would have been like, the fuck was my mention, assholes? I was in a Bond movie. Hey, I was in the best Bond movie. I don't know about that. Why did he cameo uh, on GoldenEye? Secret Service, better than literally any of the other ones that came out at that time. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> what is your favorite scene? My favorite scene is... Probably when he meets the like other taxi drivers, he meets Doughboy and Isaac Hayes and the Wizard. Is that Isaac Hayes? Is it not Isaac Hayes? I don't know, but now you're you're making me ask that question, and I thought it was Isaac Hayes. If it's not Isaac Hayes, then I feel real racist. No, no, you are, but no, no. Hey, no, that's no, that's (laughs) Nora. No, it's Norman Matlock. Okay. Then, You're talking about the one who goes, see you later, killer, and then, like, like does the gun signal to him? Yeah, I thought I was, I don't know, I thought it was everyone, whatever. When he meets Wizard and, and Doughboy and uh, not Isaac Hayes. What's his name? 
His name is Norman Matlock as Charlie T. Okay, Norman Matlock. Norman Matlock's good in this. He is. I'm looking now at Harry Northup, who plays Doughboy. What else has uh, Norman Matlock been in that you can pretend is? Oh, he's the police commissioner in Ghostbusters, and he's Reverend Paul in Clockers. Uh, all right. Yeah. Good shit. Uh, I mean, it, it is a good scene. I won't lie to you. I think Peter Boyle is actually criminally underrated and underused in this movie. But you got to kind of keep it on Bickle. But you're incorrect. The best scene of the movie is where him and Martin Scorsese sit in a taxi cab together. No, 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 don't, don't, don't. Oh, oh, it's the fucking meter. What are you doing? What are you doing at the meter? Did I tell you to put, did I do, did I tell you to do that with the meter? Put the meter back. Let the numbers go on. I don't care what I have to pay. We're, I didn't say I'm not getting out. Put the meter back on. Put it down. Put it, that's right. Put it, put it down. That's right. Why are you writing? Don't write. Put the thing down. Just sit. I didn't tell you to write. I didn't tell you to do anything. I just said, pull over to the curb. When we pull over to the curb, we're going to sit here. Sure. You hate that scene, don't you? I don't. I, I think it's, I, I get it. I get it. Like I said, I get it. I get all of it. People always like to talk to me about how I'm wrong about Taxi Driver. I get it. Right? You're not wrong. Movies are an opinion thing. But everybody likes to be like, oh, Taxi Driver's great. And I'm like, it's fine. It's good. I get I'm not, it. I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on it's this. Good. You and I have been doing this show for like a hundred and... Uh... 49 episodes, baby. No, it can't be 149. 139 right? episodes, baby. Yeah, we've been doing those 139 episodes. You think I'm going to keep fighting you on like things that I think are better that you don't? Absolutely not. Movies, if that if we teach one thing here, guys, movies are opinion-based. If you don't like a movie, you're allowed not to like that movie. But at the same time, you have to respect someone's opinion who does like it. I will say, I think the ending, I think people say that, oh, he's in a coma. I think it's a fucking, I think that shit's a cop-out. No, he has been rewarded and he could he's gonna he's gonna explode at any moment. He's a ticking fucking time bomb. What do you think the ending scene before we get to the Oscars again? What do you think the ending scene with Betsy is all about? I think he might have found a new target to try and save because Schrader has talked about how he thinks that you could splice the ending of Taxi Driver into the beginning of Taxi Driver and just start the film again. That's interesting. Um, So we're actually seeing the ending of Taxi Driver at the beginning. Kind of. Yeah. Like you're it's supposed to it's supposed to feel like the movie sort of starts over. And I think that idea is interesting because it basically resets the clock on Bickle's rage. So he will explode again. He will commit a heinous act of violence and will likely be rewarded for it again. Interesting. I actually kind of like that. Well, it's a good ending. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's a movie. It's a good movie. I think it's kind of boring. Yeah, like, it's understandable why you don't gel with this. Like, this has a lot of things for a movie that, like, don't work for you. But, like, at the same time, like, I totally get why you also respect this movie and are like, look, you can't take away certain parts of it. 
quote Chris Farley. This won some awards, didn't it? This did win awards. Well, it, it actually... I don't know if it won awards. It was nominated for awards. No, that's the joke when um he's talking to he's talking to Jeff Daniels. He goes, "That won some awards, didn't it?" He goes, "No, I don't think so." And he goes, "Oh, stupid." <laughs> No, sorry. Movie I about a boxer. Came, no, you're fine. Uh, yeah, movie about a boxer came out this year. Yeah, and really fucking KO'd everything else. So I think it was only nominated for only three that matter. As for, uh, for supporting actress. Yep. Actor in picture, right? And that's Correct. it. That's, that's it. it. Huh. Interesting. Well, let's talk about supporting actress first. You want to read it or should I? I will read it. First off, you have Jane Alexander for All the President's Men, Men, a movie we've talked about, and a performance we've talked about. Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver. Lee Grant, the wonderful Lee Grant in Voyage of the Damned. Piper Laurie in Carrie. The famous story about Piper Laurie thinking that Carrie is a comedy is still to this day one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And then we have a winner for another performance that we have talked about, Beatrice Strait in network as Luis Schumacher. We really are just narrowing down like the uh, 49th Academy Awards to getting all of them out of the way, aren't we? You know, I'm just saying bound for glory, Rocky double print, print the print the money, baby. I mean, it is a great idea on paper, actually, just to have said we've done every every best picture nominee because we have done three out of the five so far. I have a feeling that when we watch Bound for Glory, that that's going to be like a top shelf Tyler picture. So you've never seen it? I've never seen it, but directed by Hal Ashby. Starring, yeah, you do love you do love Hal Ashby. Starring David Carradine as Woody Guthrie, that sounds like my shit right there. Well, stay away from that movie until we do it, because I think that should be a movie we both go into completely blind. Oh, for sure. And I'm excited to see Rocky for the first time. Yeah. Could have been a contender. Hey, yo, Adrian. First of all, could have been a contender is not even <laughs> No, I know. I know it. I would know what could have been a contender from to you. Yeah, it's from on the waterfront. Good movie Pretty made good movie. by a fucking scab, fucking narc. <laughs> Weren't you on his side when we talked about that? No. No, I wasn't. Oh, right, right. He sca- he 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 narked for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, he narked the fucking House of Un-American Activities, motherfucker. That's right. I'm thinking of Listen, someone else. Eliza Kazan can make some good fucking movies, but I'm still mad about it. <laughs> it's understandable. It's understandable. Well, that takes us on to Actor. Actor. And the, yes. And the nominees are... Sylvester Stallone for Rocky as Rocky Balboa. William Holden for Network as Max Schumacher. Giancarlo Gianni for The Seven Beauties as Pasquale. Robert De Niro for Taxi Driver as Travis Bickle. And they would all lose out posthumously to Peter Finch for Network as Howard Beale. Which, to be honest, he should have won. It's a pretty incredible performance. He should have won. That's It's a great performance. I yeah. will say I think it's very funny that, that they did not nominate. Martin Scorsese for Best Director. <laughs> Let's talk about Best Director, actually, before we get to picture. It's not an unstacked year. Oh, no, it's a fucking stacked lineup. You've uh, got Alan J. Pacula, our guy for All the President's Men. 
You've got Ingmar Bergman for Face to Face. You've got Sidney Lumet for Network. And you've got Lena Vertemuller for The Seven Beauties. And you've got John G. Avelston for Rocky, who would end up winning the whole thing. The only guy that doesn't belong in this lineup is the guy that won. He is the he's you know what though? It really goes with the narrative of it's an underdog story. It is. I mean, you just look at the other movies that he's directed. You have like Joe and Cry Uncle and like Save the Tiger, I guess, is like kind of a drama. It's like Jack Lemon, you know. And then he does a bunch of movies that I don't know of like foreplay which i guess is like an anthology film i i'm that does not exist and then you got fucking rocky like what (laughs) like it's so it's it's nuts of this guy's career but in 84 he will make one of the definitive second sports movies of all time and make the karate kid oh yeah i'm not saying uh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying that like th- this guy's career is—it's a really well, weird we, career. We talked about it last night. Actually, we were talking about peaking too early. I can't remember who we were talking about. Like, where did? Oh, we were talking about John Leguizamo and where John Leguizamo peaked, because my dad was like trying to figure out something he was in that he knew, and. We, I don't think I have an answer for that, honestly. But yeah, it feels like this guy peaked right as Rocky, and then like he never really could recover, which is fair. Wait, he made Rocky. It's a hard. Don't know anything John Linguizamo's in. No, no, no. Not that he doesn't know anything he's in. My dad was trying to figure out a movie he was in, and we couldn't figure out what movie it was. But we were talking oh, about the concept of what well, I can't figure out what John Linguizamo would have peaked in. I can't. I can't tell you what is like the apex of his career. Probably um, the Baz Luhrmann movie romeo and juliet yeah that one that was my sister's argument actually but i will say i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not saying that alvison's like a bad director i don't want anybody to think that that that's what i'm saying because i do think like joe and cry uncle are both like weirdly really good movies from the time period i just think it i just think this guy winning an academy award at this point in his career is so fucking it's so fucking strange it's very odd i'll give you that well, takes us on to picture. You want you want to read us the pictures? Is there anybody that you would kick out of the the the, the best director to add, add our boy Marty? Because I got to pick. I mean, you can't kick out the winner, right? That's our rule. Can't kick out the winner. I mean, I haven't seen Face to Face, and I haven't seen Seven Beauties. So, I mean. The thing is, I'm not. I I don't care if Scorsese doesn't get nominated for this. I'm kind of with you in the in the regard of like this is not his best movie. Like, there are other movies throughout the course of time that he's not nominated for. Where I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, that's true. Come on, motherfucker. Like, have you seen The King of Comedy? I will say, I would knock out Ingmar Bergman. Is that a is that a bad movie? I haven't seen it, but it is not a movie that I would nominate him for. And also, it is not a movie. It is actually a miniseries. <laughs> so, oh, so, oh, so they're just a liar. Well, you know um, what? Fuck you, Bergman. I Put believe it's a miniseries. That was edited into a movie. 
I think the Swedish version is like a is like three hours long. Yeah, it's it's as it was a it's as it was a um it was conceived as a four part miniseries and then was edited down into hundred and seventy seven minutes. Oh my god, someone in this cast is just credited as rapist. So that's that's great. I have some I have that to look forward to. Great, wonderful. Burger Malmsten. I thought you were just gonna say Burger Malamar. Burger Malamar, Malamar. He's a rapist in the movie. What do you want? Yeah, let's talk about picture. Yeah, the nominees. This is the nominees back when there are only five nominees, which is as it should be. Best picture, All the President's Men, uh, Bound for Glory, Network, and Taxi Driver, and they would all lose out to the underdog story that is Rocky. You know why I think Rocky wins Best Picture? That's a good goddamn movie. That, and I also think it's because Rocky doesn't win. Yeah, no, I think I honestly I think, think making that choice is going to Rocky. Yeah, it's a good idea. Makes it, yeah. And you know, it sets it up for a sequel. You know what I mean? Hey, it's great. Yo, Adrian. He is so punchy by the like Rocky Four. It's crazy. But that was the '80s and cocaine. What are you gonna do? Cocaine is a hell of a drug. It is. Yeah, honestly, like. Taxi Driver's good, but it was never going to win Best Picture, nor should it. Rocky's a great movie. Rocky's, like, a definitive all-time movie. I, yeah, I also just think that, like, Taxi Driver wasn't as well-received at the time, if that makes sense. I think it was a movie that kind of, like, disgusted people, which makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was well-received in that, like, critics liked it. I just, I don't think, I Rocky was a fucking phenomenon. Like, Rocky was a blockbuster for some reason, which to a lot of people doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Makes sense to me. You can get behind that movie. Rocky is actually, I'll say this, Rocky Balboa is the opposite of Travis Pickle. Like, you root for Rocky from the minute you see him till the end of that movie. You have no reason to root for Travis Pickle. Everybody loves Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Um, What would you pair with this? Taxi Driver? That's a fucking solid question and somehow one that I did not think about. I think it's very, very well paired with Barton Fink. However, if I had to if I had to uh, pair it with someone, I would pair it with uh, American Gigolo. That's a good pairing, actually. That's a really good pairing, actually, buddy. Good, good on you. Okay. Good on you. And do you have anyone you want to nominate for Shit Heel Mount Rushmore? No one I think that would would win, but Bickle himself would be funny. Okay, I was already typing Travis Bickle for you, so I'm glad you, you at least... Uh... <laughs> so I'm glad at least you did that. that. That worked out. You know, I feel like... I feel like you almost got to nominate the gun guy. Interesting. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it. Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to think on that. Not 100% sure if that's if that's going to happen. And what do you what do you rate Taxi Driver? I think after this conversation, I give Taxi Driver what I normally do, which is a three and a half out of five. I'm going to go a little higher than you. I'm going to say four out of five. I like this movie. I do. 
But and I I had it at four and a half earlier, but I was like, you know what? He's made some solid points. This is definitely if we're talking like top tier, like top shelf Scorsese, this is just on the shelf below it. To me, I think it lands kind of firmly in the middle of the pack. That's fair. Yeah. Well, we've all got our thoughts on Scorsese. Talented little man that he is. I wish I would have seen him last night. That would have made me happy. (laughs) Well, maybe next year. Oh, I think definitely next year. I mean, we've said it before. He's the only reason both of us are keeping Apple TV subscriptions. I just want him to go from subscription service to subscription service just asking for substantial amounts of money. I mean, I'll say this. If you don't think the conspiracy against Netflix is real, I think last night they proved it. I don't think the only conspiracy against Netflix, I think, is is Netflix. They did themselves no favors trying to charge people more money for, like, people signed in on different accounts. Fuckers. It's true. It's like, you guys have a lot of money. What, What do you need with that? Over my dead body. Takes us on to our second movie. Our second movie is a movie about the life of the mind. One of the Otter films by the brothers Cohen is about a New York playwright caught up in the Hollywood hustle and bustle of the 40s. An all-time great cast of regulars manages to pull the rug out from underneath you halfway through. This is the movie that stars John Turturro, John Goodman, Judy Davis, Oscar nominee Michael Lerner, John Mahoney, Tony Shalhoub, John Polito, and Steve Buscemi. This is, of course, the 1991 Palm d'Or winning Barton Fink. Strange as it may seem, Charlie, I, I guess I write about people like you. The average working stiff, the common man. Well, ain't that a kick in the head? Yeah, I guess it is. But in a way, that's exactly the point. There's a few people in New York, hopefully our numbers are growing, who feel we have an opportunity now to forge something real out of everyday experience. Create a theater for the masses based on a few simple truths, not on some shop-worn abstractions about drama that don't hold true today if they ever did. I, I don't guess this means much to you. Hell yeah, I could tell you some stories. And that's the point, that we all have stories. The hopes and dreams of the common man are as noble as those of any king. The stuff of life, why shouldn't it be the stuff of theater? And God damn it, why should that be such a hard pill to swallow? Don't call it new theater, Charlie. Call it real theater. Call it our theater. I can see you feel pretty strongly about it. Well, I don't mean to get up on my high horse, but why shouldn't we look at ourselves up there? Who cares about the fifth Earl of Bastrop and Lady Higginbottom and and who killed Nigel Grinch Gibbons? I could feel my butt getting sore already. Exactly, Charlie. You understand what I'm saying a lot more than some of these literary types because you're a real man. And I could tell you some stories. Sure you could, and yet many writers do everything in their power to insulate themselves from the common man, from where they live, from where they trade, from where they fight and love and converse and... and, So naturally, their work suffers and regresses into empty formalism and, well, I'm spouting off again, but to put it in your language, the theater becomes as phony as a $3 bill. Well, I guess that's a tragedy right there. (laughs) You're all right, Charlie. (laughs) I'm glad you stopped by. I'm I'm sorry if I, well, I know sometimes I run on. Well, Christ, 
there's any way I can contribute or help or whatever. Sure, Charlie, you can help by just being yourself. Congrats on picking two Palm Door winners. Oh, yeah, Taxi Driver won the Palm Door, too, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah, I did that on purpose. He said knowing yep. he didn't. Yeah, that's right. The Palm Door. Palm or as Tyler Door. likes to call it, the real Oscars. No, I don't. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you like it more than the Oscars, though. But usually they're, well, sometimes. I guess. I don't know. Not always. They've passed some real stinkers. But haven't we all? Uh, what do you call it? Well, this one you think should be on the Mount Rushmore. Yes. This yeah, was actually kinda... I think, my pick. It was. It was. And the more I watch this movie, every time I get through it, I'm like, man, that is just a really top to bottom solid hour and 50 minute movie it's real good right i had watched this like twice within a really short time span so this time i just sort of just went through all of my favorite moments and scenes which to be fair is kind of the whole movie in some sense the whole movie yeah barton fink is played by john turturro in what i will say one of the most criminally uh underappreciated performances because he was not nominated the person who's nominated in this movie is mind-blowing <laughs> it's gonna be like John Mahoney. No, it's Michael Lerner. Oh, what? I know. Is he the? Is he the owner of the the the? Is he the guy he that owns, runs the um? Yeah, he runs Capital Pictures. Okay, that makes sense then. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, like, I also don't because like. And I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. There are two way better performances for supporting actor than him. What I will say is my favorite scene is the scene where he shows up at the office for the first time. And really? That's your that's your favorite scene? That's like my favorite scene because he's just like, can I kiss? Can I can I hug you? Let me hug you. Here at Capital Pictures, writing is number one. You don't believe me? Take a look at your paycheck. It's great. That's, I, that's more... like one of my favorite moments in the whole movie. Oh, what's even more frustrating is all the people who are also in supporting actor that year. We'll get to that. We'll we'll get to that. So yeah, Barton Fink is a playwright, and John Turturro plays him. And I'll say it: I think it is John Turturro's best performance. Full stop. That's up there. Yeah. No, I think yeah. full stop. Like it's 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 like this. And I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. There's there's nothing else. This is the performance you think of when oh. I think of John Tortora. Oh, Quiz Show is the other one. If we're talking about oh, a supporting yeah, actor and a leading That's... actor role for him. And he's also great at Miller's Crossing. He's amazing for, like, that sequence in Miller's Crossing. You are correct. I mean, the Coen brothers know what to do with him. He's also great and do the right thing. Like, this is he's in a period where he's just on fire. Yeah. He really is. Oh my Some god, he's in say, Catch Fire? He's in Catch Fire. We, we forgot about we, we forgot about Catch Fire. Ben. I was about to make the joke. I was, <laughs> I was like sorry, two seconds away. I'm so sorry. 
you were saying he was on fire, I was going to be like, man, yeah, he's about to catch fire, which he's also in. But no, I'll just sit here. Now I know how it feels when I interrupt you. I get it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know. You're not writing this. Don't don't try to make this the thing where you're right somehow. You're not Travis Bickle. Ben, maybe we could backtrack to that joke. <laughs> now yours is funny. I hate you even more. I'm going to sit over here in silence. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, he's a playwright, though. <laughs> Did you, did you like the, the pissy little noise at the end? <laughs> Excuse me. No, you're good. So he's a playwright in New York, and he has a play that has garnered some pretty big success. And mm-hmm. because it's the 40s, his agent gets him a job in Hollywood writing scripts because that's where the money is at the time. And it's weird. You thought the streets of uh, New York were hell in the last movie. Turns out L.A. is hell. It's a lot worse <laughs> in this movie. Cleaner looking, though, than yeah. Taxi Driver, but a lot worse. I love everything about it. I love how Totoro is, like, constantly, like, I'm, I'm for the common man, like, for the people on the, like, living, like, day to day. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, you do you know who he's, he's supposed to kind of be, like, a riff on? Who's he supposed to be a riff on? It's this guy named Clifford Odets, who was a playwright from New York, who is a socialist and was like, he was all for like making the the people's theater and and stuff like that. And he did go to he did go to Hollywood for a little bit and wrote a few screenplays, none of which are really that big. Um, he would end up writing the dialogue for Notorious, and writing maybe the best uh, American movie of all time, which is The Sweet Smell of Success. Yeah, okay. I mean, and I think this movie is very much about, like, what comes next for somebody. Like, because this Mm -hmm. whole movie is, like, the whole premise of why Barton Fink gets to go to Hollywood and write movies is because people loved that script. like Or that script, they loved his play. Like, they thought his play was amazing. And it's it's a powerful piece of work. And, like, they want to bring that, as as Michael Lerner says, they want to bring that Barton Fink feeling to, like, their audiences. So, and he can't do it. I mean, that's, that's the funniest part about this movie, is he can't fucking do it. My favorite bit is at the end, realizing that the, the script that he has written is just the play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But like as a as a as a wrestler, I mean, because you you hear the you hear you hear the cop read the last line. He says, we'll be hearing from that crazy wrestler. And I don't mean in like it, the movie's about like kind of what you produce next. And I feel that's the big commentary for the Coen brothers here. And he he doesn't have anything else in the tank. And when that cop is reading it at the end, you're like, it's the same fucking thing. I always equate this movie to and this is going to be a really weird thing to equate it to. You ever watch Dragon Ball Z? Yes, vaguely, like a little bit, like not a whole lot. You remember Krillin? I do remember Krillin. Okay, there's a moment in Dragon Ball Z where Krillin essentially shoots a giant energy beam at these other two characters. I can't remember who it is. I think it's Vegeta and Nappa. And he lands the hit like perfectly. The whole place explodes. And as they're all standing, they're like, oh, it's over. You see Vegeta and Nappa just walking through the dust. And Krillin goes, I put everything I had into that shot. That's Barton Fink in this movie. It's like 
everything he had, he put into that first play, and it's good. No one can deny it. it's good. People love it. Obviously, it connects with people, but he doesn't have anything left in the tank. So, you know, I think we talked about this the last time we talked about it, but the screenplay was written when the brothers were having, like, um, a bout with writer's block while writing Miller's Crossing. And the script in, in many ways sort of feels self-referential to the fact that it is a screenplay. Like, it mentions that there's a there's a good man and a, there's a good wrestler and a bad wrestler and it's like that could clearly be like Barton and the bad wrestler could be Charlie and then they confront each other at the end and it, 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 there's all of this kind of like self-referential to like what a script is supposed to have and then the movie kind of eschews sort of all of that they did write this during like when they were having writer's block with Miller's Crossing and then I think they went away from Miller's Crossing for like two weekends and banged this out I love the way the movie will like zoom in on white like a like a, like a either the stucco of a ceiling or like the white of the page and then punch in on someone just going like a secretary just going ham and you mm-hmm. each time you think maybe our boy Barton picking up the plot a little bit but no it's just it's like a secretary it is a secretary and you're just like you're like god damn is he ever gonna get it done and I don't know you just you feel bad for Barton but at the same time too when he's doing all that shit about like he's doing all that shit about like the common man and stuff. You're like, dude, you're kind of a prick. Aren't you like, mm-hmm. you're like kind of that nerdy guy in school. Who's like, well, we actually didn't get homework tonight teacher. And you're just like, Oh fuck you, dude. I'd like to go home and not do homework. Yeah. I would like to be able to, to sleep. Yeah. Fuck, right. Man, everything about Barton in this movie is just so fucking funny. I mean, I love this. common talk- man bullocks. Yeah. I love, there's, I don't know. I just love this movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. And we haven't even really talked about it. So he gets to L.A. He checks in at, what's the name of the hotel? Oh, the Hotel Earl. The Hotel Earl, yeah. He tells Michael Lerner, and Michael Lerner's like, never heard of it. Like, let's get him a, let's get him a good spot on the Ritz or whatever. Or the Palisades. Hell, he can stay at my place. Did you see what, I guess, the slug line is on the uh, paper at the Hotel Earl? No. A day or a lifetime? Oh, terrifying. It's great, though. It plays into it. There are two jokes in the opening where he's checking into the hotel that are so funny upon, like, the 15th watch of this movie for me. Like, the first one is when is the is the day or the lifetime. But before that, when he gets on the elevator, he walks to the elevator, he gets on it, and he says, floor six? And then the guy goes, floor six, and then pushes it closed. And then the camera restarts on the floor where he gets off, and the guy goes, floor six. And you're just like, oh, six, six, six. I get it. We're in hell. This is this is fun. Oh. This is, it's a great fucking literary joke. It's a very funny joke. I didn't, I didn't get that. Yeah, that's good. There's also sixes on the elevator door, too, which is which is interesting if you look quickly. Yeah, so the Hotel Earl, a day or a lifetime is their slogan, and he lives next door to this guy named Charlie. Charlie is played by John Goodman, and I'll say it, maybe John Goodman's best role ever. 
it's up there. Uh, I got a it's question. It's this for and Walter you. from Lebowski. Oh yeah, I got a question for you. Sure. Is John Goodman the devil? If he's not the devil, he is a demon. I guess is my best <laughs> is my best answer to that. Like I don't know if he's the devil, but. At the same time, the final conversation with with him and him and Totoro could lead you to believe he is the devil, which you are, by the way, jumping way ahead. And you're like, wait, the devil? Like the whole audience who hasn't seen this is like, wait, huh? What do you mean the devil? Watch the movie. What are you doing? I agree. People should not listen to us before they watch the movie. I like going out. I like going out of sync because it's fun to be like, no, my favorite scene is like the very beginning. Uh, I think John Goodman's the devil. It, it is some sort of purgatory situation we got here for fucking John Totoro. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a purgatory situation. So he can't get started on this movie. He runs into a whole bunch of different people, including his idol, played by John Mahoney, W.P. Mayhew, who's a writer, who also seems to be kind of trapped in the same like hellish experience. But unlike Barton, who's like determined to actually do this, Mayhew is like, I'm just going to drink. I'm going to drink my problems away. I mean, he's supposed to be Faulkner, right? I think so, yeah. Like, clearly not not actually Faulkner, but, like, is a version of Faulkner who has just given up and has just let the randomness of, of this hellish existence take him. He really, really has. And he's dating a woman played by judy davis she's so good in this she's really good in this this is actually one of their better early female characters who isn't played by Frances mcdormand (laughs) my little sister last night when they showed the clip for denzel in tragedy macbeth the one of the scenes in the clip cuts to Frances mcdormand and my sister went the hell and i go it's a coen brother movie and she goes oh yeah of course because they can't make a movie without Frances." and i was like I can name you nine movies they've made without Francis. First of all, I said, second of all, you put some respect on Francis McDormand's name. She's fucking amazing in this movie. She is in this movie. Francis McDormand is in this movie? Yeah, she's she's uncredited. Who is she? She plays the stage actress. Oh, does she really? That's adorable. Mm-hmm. That's so cute. I also think it's cute. They are so cute together. Like, even when they're making movies about menopause. So... He can't get it done. I mean, and he's he's trying everything. And I mean, like, it's so funny too how like just when you think the shoe is gonna drop, the other shoe is gonna drop on Barton, like he gets another stay of execution because Michael Lerner's character is just like he's a genius. You tell this man how to create. You're fired, John Polito. <laughs> I also I love Tony Shalhoub in this. A great sauce. I watched this movie while sleeping this morning because we went to the gym super early. Three things woke me up in this movie. John Goodman at the end, the typewriter, and Tony Shalhoub yelling souse. Souse. <laughs> Actually, four. Uh, John Mahoney going, where's my honey? <laughs> Which might be my favorite line in the movie. Where's this catch the Coen brothers? Where's this, uh, uh, where's this at in their run? So, yes, let's take a look at that. I believe... There's the fourth movie. They see what happens in Michigan, and they're like, we could do an Evil Dead. Make a simple little genre picture. Get the ball rolling. And they make Blood Simple. 
and then they make Raising Arizona and Miller's Crossing, and then they make Barton Fink right after that. So close together, in fact, that on uh, Calle du Cinema's annual top ten list for 1991, Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink are two and three. As they should be. And, you know, it's funny if we talk about those first four movies. We have done all four of those movies in one respect or the other on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Miller's Crossing made our Mount Rushmore. Raising Arizona and Blood Simple are actually... Raising Arizona is our second episode ever. Blood Simple came, like, a year later. And we've now done Barton Fink, I guess. We just got to jump on to Hudsucker Proxy and Fargo, and we've done everything of theirs in the 90s. Hudsucker Proxy is a good movie. It's an underrated comedy, and it's really funny. It's a good movie. Did we do the Big Lebowski? Yeah. We did it as like the Mount. That's Rushmore, on. Our, that's on our Mount Rushmore as well. Yeah, they've got a. They've got a. They're just a really enjoyable pair of directors. I I love watching the Coen Brothers. I'll say, I mean, man, even, I still think the Coen Brothers are my favorite. My favorite filmmakers working today. I don't know if even, they're the best, but they're my favorites. Even their worst movie, The Lady Killers, is still like fairly interesting. Remember when you said you weren't going to watch that movie because you wanted to leave it where it was in your mind? Yep. Still stand by it. No. So you're saying I could work you into another shoot and we could watch The Lady Killers. Well, only if you want to pair it with Intolerable Cruelty. The most underrated movie. That is an under... I'll tell you this, dude. Now being divorced, Intolerable Cruelty gets so much funnier. (laughs) That's a really good movie. I remember watching it being like, this isn't going to make my list. And then like after watching it, I was like, fucking maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck shit. Could. I think you had it at like five, which is pretty crazy. I know I had the man who, who wasn't there, which is one day. We'll do it for Noir. We'll do it for Noir Vember. Fucking love that movie. It is good. Movie continues on and about an hour in, you're like, well, I, I, I hope he gets this script done. I mean, it doesn't seem like anything else bad can happen to him. Well, and then the movie goes down a drain. Yeah. Oh, I, I get it. Okay. I was like, it goes down a drain. Yeah, it does. Quite literally. Quite literally. He calls up W.P. Mayhew's wife, which is Judy Davis, who's Audrey Taylor. She comes over. She basically admits to writing pretty much most of his scripts and also some of his books. And... They sleep together. The movie goes down a drain and he wakes up. He kills the mosquito that has been plaguing him in his room. And she's dead. Oh, she's very dead. She's very dead. Who do you think killed her? Oh, John Goodman. You think so? Oh, yeah. I think Charlie hates him as soon as Barton calls him a common man. Oh, no. No, it's before that, even. It's when he calls oh, down yeah. Chet and says he's making too much noise. So Barton kind of, like, passes out. Charlie wakes him back up by slapping him a couple of times, and he says, you passed out. He goes, I took care of the body. Don't worry. He goes, I got to leave, though. Uh, things are all getting messed up at the head office where I work for insurance. By the way, the fact that he is an insurance salesman is another great touch. Great little, great little, great little gag. And he takes off. These cops start questioning Barton. One of them uses a really, really uh, horrible, horrible slur. And as was the style at the time. 
Yes, it was. Yes, it very much was. They do stick with that. I will give them that. The Coen brothers do not shy away from pointing out that, hey, certain shit was pretty fucked up at one point. <laughs> and they come back again and they tell him, hey, you're on the sixth floor. Is it too high? Do you get nosebleeds? And the fucking the fucking mattress, which is just covered in blood. It's just caked in blood. Didn't even flip it over. No, I would have flipped it over. Where are you supposed to sleep, Barton? <laughs> He's just sleeping in the blood. No wonder. No wonder the fucking uh, mosquitoes are out to get him. And they ask him, did Munt show you how to do it? Because Charlie's real name is Munt. And he says, no, he didn't. He's a man. We wrestled. And they said, you're a sick fuck, Pink. Sick fuck, Pink. (laughs) It's maybe one of the greatest deliveries in a Coen Brothers movie, whoever that guy is. (laughs) I love that line. They all of a sudden are like, why is it so hot? They handcuff Barton to the to the thing. They step out in the hallway and the hallway's kind of on fire. And you're like, wait, what? And Munt steps out and he's there and they're like, hey, Munt, just put the policy case down. Everything will be okay." And he puts it down, but he pulls out a shotgun first and fucking ventilates one of the one of the cops first. So satisfying. It really is. And then he yells out the most famous line of the movie for me and Tyler. What is it, Tyler? Look upon me, I will show you the life of the mind. And he just repeats it. He just repeats it. Him running down that hallway as it's on fire is just, like, so great. I'll show you the life of the mind! Ah! Ah! And you think to yourself, maybe he's not a bad guy. Like, maybe something's wrong here that we don't know. And then he says, Heil Hitler, and you're like, nope, bad guy. Nope, I was wrong. Very bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's a real it's a real moment where they're just like if you weren't sure here's the icing on the cake he comes into barton's room with like the entire hotel on fire and he goes barton who boy is it hot and <laughs> and the thing is too despite him potentially being the goddamn devil you still feel kind of bad for him yeah a little bit he's it's just because goodman is just so good at getting simpy you know he really is and the moment he's it, Barton's still handcuffed to the to the thing, and Barton says, "But Charlie, why me?" And he said, "Because you don't listen," which is like the big complaint. And he said, "Also, you come." He goes, "He goes. You think you know hell, Barton? You think you know pain?" He goes, "Look around you. You're a tourist." He goes with a typewriter. He goes, "I live here." He's like, "And you come into my home and you tell me I'm being too loud." He's not wrong. He 100% is like, dude, I live here. Like, hell is my domain. Like, and whether I'm the devil, a demon, or whatever, he goes, I'm here permanently. He goes, there's a chance for you to get out. He goes, now, I don't think that's going to happen by the end of this movie. But, like, and, like, it's even at the end when, like, he tells Charlie he's sorry. Charlie goes, ah, don't be. He goes, I'll be next door if you need me. By the way, I dropped it on your folks. And you're like, oh, fuck. Fink is, I think, supposed to be jewish right yeah yeah they say it it's a jewish name what's so interesting about charlie is it's both a commentary on fascism of the time because it's supposed to be 1941 right and Mm -hmm. also a commentary on the fact that barton fink will never understand what it's like to actually be a common man like he is a tourist in the common man's shoes he can see it he can understand it but he he's never lived it he is a tourist However, Charlie is also a fascist, probably. And so 
it is interesting. I mean, it's one of those things where you're just like, you're like, who am I supposed to root for again? Like, I can't, I, like I is love it, this movie. It's it's so such much. a it's such an effective like movie because guys, you think we're joking about like the walls being on fire and stuff. The minute that movie takes the camera down the drain and it's like literally at the halfway point, that movie goes in a hard left direction and you never like that movie becomes a lynch movie and you're just like, hmm, like <laughs> what's going on here? Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And he goes back to the, he leaves the hotel Earl and he goes to the studio and you don't realize it because they cleverly disguise it up until this moment. World War II has broken out in America. <laughs> he's wearing the fucking, he's wearing the fucking general's outfit. Oh. <sighs> it made me a colonel. They had the, I had the studio whip this up beforehand, but we're, we're going to war. And all the goodwill that Barton has had has dissipated. Like Michael Lerner's character, it's like, you're not a writer. You're a goddamn write-off. He goes, I don't need this. He goes, this script, this is what you bring me? What a, what a picture. It really is. And the last moment of the movie is Barton is, I mean, and he tells him too. He said like, he said like, he goes, get him out of here, out of my sight, Lou, because John Polito's character gets rehired somehow. He says, I want him out of my sight, but he goes, but I want him here in town under contract. He says, Capital Pictures will buy everything you have because you're under contract, and Capital Pictures will not produce anything you create until you grow up a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, it's a real fuck. It's a real fucking like, hey, studios are kind of evil. And he goes to the beach and is walking around. And it's at that moment you see a beautiful woman on the beach and he sits down behind her and she says, it's a lovely day. And you realize that that picture in his room is that scene. You love to see it. <laughs> and she asks him, cause all he has in his hands is his little typewriting suitcase and a box that Charlie gave him, which we don't know what's in that box, but we know what's in that box. We know what's in that box. Yeah. We one of the great deliveries. Yes, we can. You're right. We can't know for sure, but we can assume. But one of the great deliveries from John Goodman. Oh, by the way, that box, I lied. It's not mine. <laughs> Just like, you fuck. <laughs> you fuck John Goodman. <laughs> and he says to her, and I think it's one of the more telling moments of the movie. He sits behind this woman. She says, it's a beautiful day. He goes, yes, it is. And he said, you're very beautiful. Are you in pictures? And she says, don't be silly. And... You say to yourself, well, what does that mean? Like, what do you what think she means mean? by that? Yeah. What does she say again? Sorry, one more time. He says to her, he says, you're very beautiful. And she smiles at him and he says, are you in pictures? And she says, don't be silly. And then turns around to look back out at the water. And you realize that that image of that picture on the wall is from his perspective. He's looking at it. Mm-hmm. What a picture. Yeah. And it won the Palm d'Or. And won the Palm d'Or. It was. It's the first movie at Cannes to win the Palm d'Or Best Director and Best Actor, as it fucking should. And you know what? Let's go to that little little rink-a-dink outfit called the Oscars and see what was up for actor, supporting actor, and picture and director that year. Because I think there's a case that each one of those categories you could slip in somebody from this movie. Have we done the 64th Academy Awards? Yes, we have, because oh, we've talked ben, about the best picture Oh, winner. baby, yes, we have. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Give me one second. Let me, uh, let me drink the rest of my coffee. 
Drink the rest of your coffee. Okay. I don't think you can really argue Judy Davis can be up for Best Supporting Actress. I, I just don't think there's enough there. If you want to make a case for it, we can talk about Supporting Actress. Eh. I mean, Supporting Actress is pretty stacked. The person who wins is the right person, too, weirdly enough. Yeah. No, it's a good it's a good year for Supporting Actress. It is. It's a bad year for Supporting Actor. <laughs> Here's the first thing I'm going to say. Upon us talking about it and you talking about your favorite scene being Michael Lerner embracing him for the first time and being like super. And I can I can understand why that performance gets nominated. If we're going to talk about my favorite scene, it's I will show you the life of the mind. Like it's it's just an absolutely bananas moment. Here's the first thing I'm going to say. Harvey Keitel or Ben Kingsley can get kicked the fuck out of supporting actor and you put Goodman in there. I'm sorry. He's amazing in this movie. Jack Palance won for City Slickers? Yeah. Okay. The Oscars were wild at one point. I guess. Yeah, it's fine. I don't really have a strong opinion. I would kick Ben Kingsley because he's already won for Gandhi, so... Yeah, that's fair. I've never seen Bugsy, so I'm I'm hoping I'm not stepping on any toes. It's a very average Warren Beatty movie, and it was only nominated because Warren Beatty was a powerhouse. Barry Levinson's good. He's Yeah, he's good. Oh, yeah, he created Sam Levinson. I mean, that's a negative, but other than that. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones gets to stay. I think his performance in JFK is madness. You got him doing a New Orleans accent. It's kind of fun, though. I, I kind of love how, it, like, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about actor. Yeah. Beatty or yeah. Nolte are the two I would kick out for Totoro. Totoro's way better than Beatty and Bugsy. I would keep Nolte for Prince of Tides just because I like Nolte. And I would get rid of I would get rid of Beatty. Beatty, who I love, by the way. I really like Warren Beatty. I do too, but he's not good in Bugsy. Bugsy's a very average movie. I again, never seen Bugsy. Oh man, you're gonna come back in like two years and be like, dude, Bugsy's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not getting rid of Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, and I'm not getting rid of Robin Williams in the Fisher King. Mm, yeah. Yeah, Beatty's the only one I'd really kick out. Yeah, I agree. And you know, for director... Get out of here, Ridley Scott. You're a dick. <laughs> you're a dick. Get get out of here, Barry Levinson. You have your Oscar for Rain Man. Oh, right, Rain Man. And should have won for Diner. Should have won a lot of things for Diner. It's a good movie. Diner is so good that I'm like, Levinson, he, yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's a good actor. He's a good director. You know what and I mean? A, like, Diner's yeah. so good that like I for I forgive Rain Man. <laughs> and for picture, I mean, nothing was going to beat that movie, but I don't know. Get get rid of Beauty and the Beast. It's not even close to Disney's best contribution for film. I mean, we've already fucking we've already just thrown Bugsy into the wood chipper. You, you know, you're right. Movie. Actually, yeah, you're right. Let's just like instead of stepping on Bugsy's neck slightly. Let's just really push down. Yeah, fuck it. Throw it in the wood yeah. chipper. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, just like Fargo. Throw it in the wood chipper. Fuck it. Yeah. Barton Fink's Bart- better than three of those movies. Yeah. Four I wonder of those if movies. Th- no, three. No, I, I like JFK a lot. I-, I-, I don't know if I can go on that. Uh, well, leads me to ask the question, what would you pair it with? Um, I would pair Barton Fink with uh, Orson Welles' The Trial. 
Ooh, good call. And you got anyone to nominate for Shitheel Mount Rushmore? Oh, I mean, I mean, is he really a shitheel? I was going to nominate John Goodman. I don't think he can at the end of the day. I don't think, I mean, WP Mayhew, maybe. He actually, yeah, actually, I would totally agree with you on that. Actually, I would agree with you on that. Yeah, put him Um, like a 15th seed, but yeah. Yeah, we're not sure where he'll fall, but yeah, John Mahoney as WP Mayhew is actually a great choice. Oh, I forgot John Mahoney died. That's right. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, they never could tie the murder to that little dog from Frasier, but we all know. I mean, that dog was making millions a year. God, can you imagine the owners of that dog? I mean, that dog, that dog is a good dog. It's a good boy. He's a cute dog, yeah. Very good boy. He is a good boy. What do you give Barton Fink? But come on, man. It's five stars. What are we doing? Four and a half for me. But, but like, the more I watch it, the more I'm like, this could be like top shelf. This could be top shelf Cohen. It's a it's a great movie. And, you know, too, it was the first real Cohen Brothers movie. I was like, man, these two guys are fucking crazy for the stuff they love to do. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, they are. We watched this Miller's Crossing and the Big Lebowski in one weekend. Me and my dad, when my mom and sister were out of town. That was a big mom's out of town weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. My dad was like, because we had seen Raising Arizona. My dad was like, I've been looking into those that movie by those guys who did Raising Arizona. He's like, I found a couple more. So we went up to the video store and we rented those three. And our minds were just blown. I guess the only question is, what's next? What is next, Ben? When I say Michael, you say Bay. Michael. Bay. Michael. Bay. Michael Bay, baby. <laughs> That's right, guys. We got a phone call a couple weeks ago, and Michael Bay was crying on the other end. I I told him I was going to tell this story, but he was really sad that we did Paul W.S. Anderson, and we haven't included him on the Mount Rushmore of Awesomeness. So I said, hey, Michael, stop crying. It's okay. We're going to let you. We're going to let you on there, but your next movie can't be a Transformers movie. And he's like, it's okay. I'm doing a movie about an ambulance. And we're like, hey, that's good for you, Michael. We're really excited. So next week, we are going to talk about and discuss the man known as Michael Bay, one of the most interesting filmmakers in action filmmaking. He's definitely an interesting filmmaker. That he is. Shall we go through his filmography? Yes, let's. First up, in 1995, he breaks on the scene and slaps us all across the face with the movie starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, Bad Boys. Then he follows it up with the receiver of the slap across the face, The Rock. After that, he takes us to space for the first time with a little movie in 1998 called Armageddon. I think it was a little movie called Pearl Harbor. After that, he gives us 2003's Bad Boys 2. And then in 2005, he plagiarizes a whole bunch and does The Island. In 2007 until uh, 2011, he does three Transformers movies. Sure, Sure does. In 2013, he does his little 70s movie, Pain and Gain. In 2014... He does another Transformers movie. Sure thing. Uh, 2016, he does a little movie called 13 Hours, which, hint, hint, winky, winky, might end up on one of our lists. The fuck are you? I don't No! God damn it! I don't want to watch that bullshit again. <laughs> fuck. Fuck. Ah! It's fine. It's fine. 
You better watch the first fucking Transformers movie. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> all right, I'll watch the first fucking Transformers movie. You can watch the second one, too. Sorry, I got greedy. That's, that's not happening. In 2017, he does his last Transformers movie called Transformers The Last Night. In 2019, he does a really unmoored and weird film that is not grounded in reality, but does have a great first opening 20 minutes, and that is Six Underground. And I'll say it again, because people might have forgotten, you cannot nominate the first 15 minutes of Six Underground as a spot on the Mount Rushmore. Oh, man. And then we get, in a couple weeks, Ambulance. Fuck yeah, bro. I'm so Watch excited for DX, Ambulance. Baby. Oh, I'm so excited for that movie. Those are the movies of Michael Bay. And next week, guys, we are going to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, the just very fascinating career that he has had. And guys, I got to tell you, I don't know what's coming from him for this list because it's usually pretty easy to predict, predict Tyler when you have like a filmmaker who, who you kind of know how t- Tyler feels about him. But I'm like 50 50 on whether I know how he feels about Michael Bay or not, because I feel like there's some stuff Tyler is going to be in the bag for. And there's going to be other stuff where it's like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about the island four times. The show's over. I'm canceling it. <laughs> Not gonna Actually, you're like, is that all it took this whole time? I've been trying to get out of this thing. Uh, no, actually, I kind of like the island, although it is plagiarized all to hell. The island is fine from what I remember. Yeah, exactly. Well, guys, you can follow all of these antics at TWGTF pod and Twitter on and Instagram. You can follow me at ET critic for the empty theater critic. See what I uh, wrote about. I saw Coda. That movie's fine, despite it winning best picture. Tyler, anywhere they can follow you? They can follow me to the Earl in Los Angeles, where I will be living out a damp purgatory. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I've, of course, been your host, Ben. And I'm Barton Fink. And remember, guys, if you come to our little video box around the way and you see a guy running past our video box and everything's lighting on fire next to him, you know what? Don't complain about the noise. He lives there. I gotta tell you, the life of the mind... There's no roadmap for that territory. And exploring it, it can be painful. Come on, Bart! We're gonna go sneak into an R-rated movie! Let's call Bart and Fink! I can't. I told my dad I'd wait for him. Bart and